So there you go. Hey, welcome. We are so glad you're here. Uh, the McAllisters are on a plane and they're heading to Paris. And a lot of you guys know where this is going. Um, and halfway through their trip, their plane ride, the mom is talking to her husband and she just has this intuition, this discernment. You know how moms get, women get, they're like, oh, something's not right. And she's had that. And she has this gut feeling like she has forgotten something. Man, what could it be? And so they're talking and he's like, well, you know, she's like, did we set the timer on the lights? Did we set the alarms? And they go through the checklist just like we do. We go through a checklist. And he's like, she's like, did we shut the garage door? And he's like, nope, that's it. That's what it was. We didn't shut the garage door. And she's like, no, that wasn't it. What was it? And then after a few minutes, all, all the stuff, it hits her with a ton of bricks. And she goes, Kevin, we forgot Kevin. In a moment of panic that only a mom can truly understand, they realize that they have left their youngest son at home in Chicago, Kevin. The night before they left was causing all sorts of problems, the chaos in the house, uh, relatives and cousins and aunts and uncles. And it seemed like there was just there was just trouble here and there and Kevin was always at the root of it and so they take Kevin and they lock him up in some bedroom attic, all right, which I think we all wish we had sometimes, you know, that would be really cool. But they lock him up there and you guys know the story. That night the power goes out because of a storm, the alarms don't go off in the morning so they sleep in, they oversleep. And then the, the airport shuttle guys are ringing the doorbell and ringing the doorbell, ringing the doorbell. They wake up and they hit it and they're like, oh, we slept in. And so they are flying around the house, just loading everything up. They're loading everything into the shuttles and they're trying to do head counts. And there's a neighbor kid that's real nosy and he's over in there. So if they're doing head counts and they get in the shuttle and they go to the airport and they sprint through the airport and they get to their gate just as they're getting ready to close the door, they make it. And they're like, oh, thank God we made it. And so they get on the plane and the plane takes off. And then halfway through, they realize that they left Kevin. That Kevin is now home alone. He's home alone. And since we're doing Christmas in July, I thought it was appropriate uh, to kind of just bring that out and have that a part of our Life of Christ series. And I thought it was appropriate, especially today, and uh, many of you know what takes place from this moment on. The mother, uh, Kate McAllister, she is on a mission to reach her son, to get a hold of him, to get back to Chicago, to feel him in her arms again. And moms know that that separation will cause you uh, extreme pain. And so that is her mission. And it sets the tone for our time today. Uh, as we are going to look at the only story recorded in the Bible of the childhood of Jesus. And so, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, we've dug into uh, just kind of right before Jesus was born and the things that took place, and then Jesus was born and goes to the temple. And then last week we talked about the encounter in the temple with Simeon and Anna. And if you didn't hear that, go online, it's, it's there. But today... I'm kind of glad that we're hitting in on what we probably know the least about Jesus, which is his childhood, but I think in it speaks the most about the life of Christ. 
And if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. If you need a Bible, we have some uh, in the back. And I think Haley went to go grab some. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and she will bring it around to you. But Luke chapter 2, Luke is a book written by a guy, absolutely known, a physician named Luke, and he basically met with eyewitness accounts, and he researched everything, and then he would write out this gospel, gospel which means good news, which are the four biographies of Jesus' life in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 this morning in our time together. So Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 39, and here's what it says says, when Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. And there the child, we're talking about Jesus, grew up healthy and strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. It continues in verse 41, it says, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. So the first thing we need to understand and know is the Passover festival is a big deal. They've been celebrating it for a long time. Remembering the Passover that happened when the Israelites were getting ready to take out out of Egypt. And God would send his death angel over and he would pass over those that had the blood up on the doorframe. And so they've been doing this. And when this happens, thousands and thousands of people, Jewish people, would flock into Jerusalem. They would make the trek from wherever they were to go into Jerusalem and celebrate this festival, which was about a week. Uh, But the first two or three days were incredibly important. And so they would go. And Jesus' family, being Jewish, would make the journey to Nazareth, uh, from Nazareth to Jerusalem to experience a good portion of the festival. And then they head back. And it's about an 80-mile jaunt, all right? 60-some miles if you were flying, but they weren't flying back then. And so they would take the path that they could. So it would basically be like if we left here and we walked to basically about between Castle Rock and Larkspur. If you're going to head to the Renaissance Festival, we would just walk, and it would take about five days. They would do about 10 to 15 miles a day. And that was the jaunt that they were on. And it also says... In verse 42, it says that they attended the festival as usual, but you need to understand, that means they just did it every year, but there was nothing usual about this year. Because this year, Jesus has a birthday, and he turns 12, and he's Jewish, and he's a boy. So understand, that is a big deal. That is the bar mitzvah year. That is the year, not necessarily that he becomes a man, but he's no longer looked at as a child He is growing into the man that he would become. And so this is a big deal. And can I just say right now that those are the most awkward years of somebody's life, all right? And maybe some of us in here are going through that 12, 13-year-old stage, and it's just, you couldn't pay me enough money to go back (laughs) to that stage of life. Uh, especially for me. I think God just said, you're going to wait five years more before you hit puberty. And so, there you go. But this is where Jesus was in his life, in that tween stage. Verse 43 continues. It says, after the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem 
And I love this one. And his parents didn't miss him at first. I love that verse. This is the verse in the Bible that will make every parent feel a little bit better about themselves. They didn't really miss Jesus at first. Why? I don't know. Maybe Jesus was kind of the quiet son. Maybe Mary and Joseph just had a quiet kid. But it says they left town without him. And many of you probably uh, know what it's like to accidentally leave a child somewhere. Um, And I just want to make it very clear that I have never done this. Because I love my child. I love my children. I love them. I never leave them anywhere. My sister, on the other hand, evidently does not love her children as much as I do. Because when we were in Florida a couple months ago, and it was my sister's family, my family, and my parents, we all go to Florida, and one day we decide, hey, let's go to Clearwater Beach. And so uh, we went late afternoon, we went over to Clearwater Beach, had a great day um, on the Gulf Coast. And it's getting later in the day, and it's like, man, we should probably go get some dinner. And so we make decision, here's the restaurant we're going to go to. And so we go back to the two vehicles that we had, and where people are changing and getting ready and stuff like that. And then uh, our car, which didn't have any of the children in it, just me and my wife and my parents, uh, we head to the restaurant. My sister and her husband were in charge of all the children. And there was six of them. My sister has four. I have two. Um, and so they have the six kids, and they're going, and we're going. And all of a sudden, we get a phone call. And the phone call goes like this. Um, we left Sophia, my 13-year-old niece, at the beach. <clears throat> now, I thought it was quite humorous because I trust Sophia's going to be fine. We'll just go back to the beach, and we'll get her. Evidently, Sophia did not think it was humorous at all. And when they get back to the beach, Sophia is just in tears and she is distraught. And so when she shows up at the restaurant, I just continue to try to love her, make jokes about it, which she did not find funny at all at that moment. But that's what happens sometimes. We do head counts. And the more people there are, the easier it is to lose somebody. And so, there we go. So who does that? Who leaves their child somewhere? Besides my sister. Apparently Mary and Joseph do. Mary and Joseph. The parents that God hand-selected to raise the Son of God. The people that God entrusted to care for His Son. They not only left Him at church, they left Him in the middle of a big city. One of the largest cities in that entire region. Jerusalem was a major city. And so the entire day of travel, Mary and Joseph are not missing Jesus. And you may be like, how did that happen? Here's why. And the reason is this. It says, because they assumed that he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. And at, th- at this very moment, panic sets in, right? Parents, you get this? That panic is the worst feeling in the world for parents. And when I was a kid and I read this story, I always wondered what it would have been like if God at this very moment sent the angel Gabriel down to have a conversation with Mary and Joseph. 
just to mess with them. Hey, God sent me down here. We're just checking on our boy Jesus. How's he doing? Oh, he's doing great. Doing real good. You know, he loves playing hide and seek. And let me tell you, like everything else, he is very good at it. Very good at it. How do you lose God's son? You would think of all the precious things in life that you would keep track of and make sure you did not lose. It would be the son of God. And we know this because the more precious things are to you, the more you keep track of them. But as parents, we all know that as kids get older, And as you have more children, you loosen up the reins a little bit more. You loosen up and you give them a little more freedom. And by this time, it is very likely that Mary and Joseph probably have more kids. But there's some things that we need to know. First of all, when they're making this journey, it's a big caravan. And it's a lot of family, a lot of friends. And the women and children would always lead out first. They would go in front of the caravan and the men would go in the back. The reason they did that is because the women and children, just because of, you know, the children being the way they were and babies, it would take them a little bit longer. So they would let them set the pace. So, women and children in the front, men in the back, there goes our dilemma. Where is Jesus? Because Jesus is not yet a man, but he's not considered a child. So he could have been in the very front, or he could have been in the back. And this is where Mary thinks, obviously, he's with Joseph. And Joseph obviously thinks he's with Mary. And so they have that in their mind. And obviously, the more people you have in the party, the easier it is to lose someone, simply because you figure they're with somebody that you know. So revisiting our trip to Florida a couple months ago, Sarah kind of was nervous because we had 12 people in our party and we're going to Disney World. And so our kids love to be with their cousins. They love to be with their aunt and uncle. They love to be with their Mimi and Papa. And so Sarah and I are like, let's just make sure they're with somebody. But when you don't know which body that is, you get a little nervous. And that's kind of where we're at. So Mary and Joseph, the unthinkable has become their reality. The unthinkable has become their reality. And I want to just ask, can you imagine the tension that is in their tent that night? I thought you had him. Well, I thought you had him. This is all your fault. This isn't my fault. This is your fault. You've had these, like, moments. And Joseph's like, I can't believe you did that. He's your son. He's not even my son. I just, you know, I got the stepfather role and whatever this looks like. And was, Man, I thought he was with you. This is hard. In verse 45, it says, when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. And for many of us, this is what we do. We retrace our steps. When you lose something that's valuable, you retrace your steps. You talk to a, a, a lady who's wa- lost her wedding ring, and she will be frantic to search every single place that they have been. We retrace our steps so that we can find what we are looking for. Every place, every store, every place we stop. Did we go into this bathroom? Did we go to their house? 
And in verse 46, it says, three days later, and this would have been the third day. So one day of travel away from Jerusalem, probably about 10 to 15 miles. They discover that Jesus is not there. The next day, they travel back to Jerusalem. And then on the third day, that is the third day. They finally discovered him in the temple, sitting amongst the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. And get 47. It says, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, here's probably where Mary and Joseph were not at. They probably were not thinking of the deity of Jesus. All the things that had been told to them before, but that was 12 years ago. They basically have a 12-year-old son, and maybe you have a 12-year-old son, and you know what it's like. And Jesus was a 12-year-old boy. And he went through all the things that normal kids go through. When he was a baby, somebody had to change his diapers. He would grow up a little bit, and they would have to teach him how to walk and how to talk. And he would learn carpentry from his earthly father, Joseph. Jesus is growing up. And when he was in the temple, he's listening and he's learning from the teachers and he's asking questions and he is, basically has them in amazement. Because when we go back to verse 40, remember that he was filled with amazing wisdom and God was upon him. But most of us, especially me, I can't relate to Jesus at 12 years old. Because I was the 12-year-old that didn't think about spending time in the temple or in the church doing good things. I wasn't the one who, you know, when we didn't have anything to do, um, had a good idea. In fact, my ideas were always bad ideas. Me and my friends, we get together, we always came up with bad ideas. Usually ideas that got one of us, in a hurt, you know, hurt. We got to go to the hospital because we had a bad idea. That's not Jesus. Jesus spends his time where he should be. And so that's why it's hard for me. And obviously, verse 40, I just mentioned it. Jesus at a young age was filled with wisdom and God's favor was upon him. And here's where we see it. And it says that those that were around him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And Mary, his mom, looks at him, and I'm going to read from the message version because I think you can relate to the way that Eugene Peterson frames it in the message version. Here's how she says it. When she sees Jesus, she's like, young man, do you guys get the tone? Why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been half out of our minds looking for you. Everybody here knows the motherly tone. You can have a hundred moms over there yelling, but you can pick yours out. And it's a tone that basically encompasses frustration, concern, uh, worry, disappointment, all wrapped into one. And what we see next when we're reading through this 
are the very first what we would consider red letters in the Bible, words that Jesus would speak. This is the very first time we have recorded words of what Jesus says, and it is going to say a lot. And it is going to set the tone for his entire life. And here's what it says in verse 49. Jesus says to them, Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I had to be here dealing with the things of my Father? The King James Version puts it this way, Didn't you know that I would be about my Father's business? I must be about my Father's business. In other words, in, respectfully, in a respectful way, God is reminding Mary and Joseph. He's reminding them who Jesus really is and what he is going to be doing. God, through his son, Jesus, reminding them, let me remind you. Let me remind you of the Old Testament prophecies. Like in Psalm 2-7, when I say, he will be the son of God. Let me remind you, Mary. Let me remind you of what the angel told you in Luke chapter 1. He says, you, the angel told you, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will be very great and will be called the Son of Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Joseph, let me remind you what the angel said to you. The angel said to you in Matthew 1, starting in verse 20, he said, Do not be afraid and take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet, the prophet Isaiah. And so basically they go right to prophecy and they say, This is what they meant. When they said, look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Mary and Joseph, let me remind you of what Simeon told you in the temple. The old guy who came up and he looked upon your son and he said, I have seen salvation. He is the light of the world. He will be the glory to your people. Mary and Joseph, let me remind you of how Anna responded to Jesus when she immediately started to praise God and tell everyone who was desperately waiting for the Messiah to come. Jesus says, let me remind you of who I am in a respectful way. And in life, we need to be reminded Guys, especially, we need to be reminded. For Mary and Joseph, life had just been going on. It had been 12 years since the angel visits Simeon and Anna. And they were just didn't, they were just thinking humanity. They were thinking, this is our son, he's a boy. He got lost. But right here, Jesus makes it crystal clear what his life would be all about. And we are reminded of his calling. That there is God's work to be done. There's kingdom work to be done. But in verse 50, it says that they, they didn't understand what he meant. And I believe this is simply because people 
sometimes don't understand the magnitude of God's intentions. In verse 51 it says, Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature, mirroring verse 40, and in favor with God. And here's the one thing it adds in verse 52, and all the people. So there's the story. And God packs a punch in a very small amount of scripture about the childhood of Jesus. And so what are the takeaways? And for me, there's three. And the first one is this. We need to find Jesus in our lives. And for some of you, this may be a case where you once had him in your sights. He was in your focus. He was in your thoughts. But then life got going. You got busy. And slowly, you just kind of pushed Jesus to the back seat of your life and eventually completely out of your life and you need to find him again. For others, it may be the very first time. You've never had him a part of your life. You've never had a relationship with him. You've never had this deep desire to spend time with him. And God is desperately desiring that relationship with you and he is not playing hide and seek. He is right there, right in front of you, waiting for you to embrace him in your life. And it was apparent that Mary and Joseph were going to do anything and everything to find Jesus. And I have to ask, are we willing to do the same? Are we, are we willing to do anything and everything to find Him? Second is this, and it may seem a little funny at first when I say it, the more I thought about it this past week, the more of an impact it made on me. And it's simply this, don't lose Jesus. Don't lose Jesus. Don't take your eyes off of Him. Don't let a day go by without knowing where He is in your life. Don't put distance between yourself and Him because the more distance that we place between ourselves and Him and basically between ourselves and anything, the more of an opportunity you have to lose it. And we don't want to do that. Don't lose Jesus in your day. Don't lose Jesus in your marriage. Don't lose Jesus in your family. Don't lose Jesus in your life. I find it fascinating that we are more concerned about the location of our cell phone than we are the location of Jesus in our lives. Think about it. When you lose your cell phone, what happens? Well, if you're like 99.9% .9 of people on the planet, probably under 40, you stop everything you're doing, you search high and low, you ask everyone around you, hey guys, I've lost my phone, can you all help me find it? Then you grab somebody else's phone and you call your phone. So hopefully you can hear it, you can locate it. We'll go on Facebook and we'll tell everybody, hey, I lost my phone, if you need to reach me, do it through here. And it's like life can't move forward until you have your phone back. And let me tell you this, 
Life as a Christian cannot move forward without Christ in it. Don't lose Him. And if you have, you need to stop everything and you need to find Him. And the last one is this. We need to be reminded of who Jesus is and what He is about. I love it when He says, don't you know that this is where I would be? Don't you know that I would be about my Father's business? This is why I am here, to do the work of the Father. In the life of Jesus, everything He did lined up with what God wanted for Him. It was, God's, it was always God's intentions for Jesus to redeem the world, to serve to seek, to make disciples, to pour in to these people so that they could take the message out. Jesus was always about his father's business. And I have to ask myself, and you have to ask yourself, are you about the father's business? When people ask you, hey, what's your purpose? What are you doing? What's going on in life? How you can say proudly and confidently, you know what? I just want to do what God wants me to do. I just want to share his love. I want to share with people the impact he's made on my life. I want you to know that there's a God that loves you so much and when he was on the earth, he was all about his father's business. And he would live this out all the way to the cross. All the way to the cross. And he did that for you. And he did that for me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you you packed such a punch and a simple phrase from your son in the very first red letters that we have in our Bible that your son was going to be about the father's business and I pray that we as Revive will do the same that we will live each day sold out to your kingdom work that we will do everything within our power to point people to you, to lead people to you, to carry people to you, to do whatever we can. To do the things that you want us to do. And so I thank you so much for loving us so much and demonstrating your greatest love for us on the cross. And this we ask in your name. Amen.